there is no bottom to it. And we can be assured of the fact that there's nothing we can do to enhance the love that he has for us because his love is unconditional. And that's how our love should be one towards another, unconditional, nothing that we can do for each other. So why don't you go around, love each other, let him know how much you truly care and shake hands and said hi to you I'm yet. doing good. <laughs> well, praise ye the Lord. God is great and greatly to be praised. We are going to, you can be seated, we are going to talk about the blood. I could, not, I could not remove myself from the subject. Um, when I had studied it out several weeks ago, uh, I had so much material. And Sunday, I did not get to all of it. And so I want to continue today because it's a very important doctrine in the Word of God. Uh, the blood. The blood of Jesus. And... We sing songs. So many churches do not sing those songs anymore. They have gone to contemporary music. But I'll tell you what, those old songwriters, they put those songs together after a rousing round or night of prayer or a week of prayer. And they really, they really had a love for God and for what he did, the blood. And I think a lot of times we want our ears, and I'm not, I'm not saying this derogatorily, but we want our ears tickled rather than really getting an understanding of what the doctrines of the Word of God are and getting them deep down in our hearts, solidifying those things so that we can transfer them onto other people. So tonight I have an abundance of scriptures, don't I, Katie? I have an abundance of scriptures, and I'm going to go through these. Some are redundant from what I talked about Sunday, but it's all for you to get a greater understanding of this aspect of the blood, the blood. And I just want you to get this down in your heart 
And then when you plead the blood, which the old saints used to do, you pled the blood, you'll understand that that blood has great power. Great power. So, the New Testament, the New Testament epistles, um, they testify, but the epistle in Hebrews builds a bridge from the Old Testament, the Old Testament sacrificial system and its blood to the New Covenant and Jesus' once and for all sacrifice. Paul said this in Hebrews 9 and 7, but, on, but into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. And then in the 12th verse of that same chapter, it says, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. I think you remember when I said Sunday, when Mary finally realized who he was and she was about to embrace him, he said, don't touch me. Because he was the high priest and he had to present that blood on the heavenly altar. And those of us that talk um, to people about Bible studies, we'd say that what's happening in heaven is a shadow on earth. And so the mercy seat was in heaven. It was in heaven. Throughout the Bible, blood represents life. It represents life. So Genesis 9.4, but you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And the spilling or shedding of blood in turn depicts death. So Leviticus 7.11, which I talked about Sunday, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Skipping to the 14th verse, it says, for it is the life of all flesh... Its blood sustains its life. Therefore, I said to the children of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any flesh, for the life of all flesh is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And then Deuteronomy 12:23, only be sure that you do not eat the blood, for the blood is the life. You may not eat the life with the meat. I remember growing up, <clears throat> I had a grandfather, he was... Slovenian, full-blooded. He loved charnina. Does anybody know what charnina is? It's duck blood soup with dumplings and raisins. I wonder if my grandfather would eat that today if he read this. But it's the life of an individual. It's the life of an animal. And that's what sustains us as people. Um, so many wonderful things that the blood has within itself. The red blood cells, the white blood cells, the coagulation. You know, those things that your blood does. But God put that in you so that you could heal. So that you could be strong. So that oxygen would come to the vital parts of your body. And so... We've got to be careful um, with how we eat things. I think that's still in the command today that we should not eat blood. We should not eat those things that are offered on this world's idle tables because this world does not preface God at all.
the just penalty of human sin against God is death. And that scripture also, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. The death of sanctioned animal sacrifices through the presentation of their blood stood stood in temporarily for the requirement of death for sinners. Yet the high priest had to return year after year repeatedly. And I know this is redundant, but I want you to understand it. Hebrews 9:7 but into the second part of the high, into the second part the high priest went alone once a year not without blood which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance 9:25 says not that he should offer himself often as a high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood of another because it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. That's why it was necessary for God to robe himself in flesh so that the blood of a human being could be shed for each and every one of us. That's why it said he was slain from the foundation of the world. And I'll get into that in a little while. It says in Hebrews 10:4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. Repeated animal sacrifices were delaying the inevitable in the Old Testament. Waiting on God's fullness of time. Katie, I didn't give this one to you, but Galatians 4 and 4 talks about the fullness of the dispensation of time. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law. So there was a a specific time that God was going to bring all this into being. And I think when you read that verse, there's a specific time for each and every one of us. Would you not say so? When God first alerted me, that was my specific time. God began to deal with me in a different way. He dealt with you, Jim. He dealt with you, Ernie. You know, he deals with us at a very specific time. Some people, when that specific time comes, they let it go. I pity those people because they just don't understand. There will be a final reckoning for sin because it has to come. Christians, of course, believe and celebrate now that in Christ... And under the terms of the new covenant, the reckoning has come. Jesus willingly offered himself. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So by once and for all shedding his own blood, that means there doesn't have to be a repeat, which I told you that as a Catholic we were taught. It was repeated day after day after day after day, but that was ludicrous. Hebrews 9.12, not that the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, obtaining eternal redemption, bringing to its intended completion the temporary covenant that came before the Old Covenant, the inaugurating in its place of an ever 
everlasting covenant. Hebrews 13.20. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, and that is the covenant that we enter into when we are born again. And I told you once again, and I'm going to have to repeat it, Hebrews 10 and 29, I didn't give that one to you, but this is specifically for us because we need to present ourselves as living sacrifices, but of how much more sorer, suppose you, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. We need to really watch our P's and Q's in whatever function we're in. If it's a friend of somebody, if it is a husband and a wife, if it is a father to children, a mother to children, we always have to be on our best. Otherwise, what we're doing is we are trampling that blood and taking it for granted. And we, I can't stress that enough. Because sometimes when I watch Christians interact with worldly people, I wonder what kind of testimony they're really giving, and then how is God viewing them at that point? I had one person tell me, and I knew the individual, and they were not a part of the church. They were doing some work. Um, it was uh, work in a backyard. They were part of a landscaping company, and I knew the person's house that they were working on, and the person did not show a very good witness, came out yelling, screaming, and uh, really demanding things be done in a specific way, and the demands were very unreasonable. And um, the only reason I knew that is because I talked to the individual, I brought up a name, and they said, huh, I know that person, and began to tell me the story. So we as Christians, again, really have to be on our best all of the time. Because we are representing Christ, and it's his blood that covers us. It's his blood that covers us. Remember what I told you? The blood of Abel cried out, vengeance, but the blood of Jesus cries out, mercy. And so you are that representative of mercy wherever you go. So don't, don't sully the blood of Jesus. Hebrews celebrates some of the specific benefits, <clears throat> excuse me, Christians enjoy because of Jesus' blood. Hebrews 10:19 Therefore brethren having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Hebrews 13:12 Therefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood suffered outside the gate So the apostle Paul 
He has seven instances where he talks about the benefit that the blood has for us as Christians. Number one, propitiation, to remove God's righteous wrath. Romans 3 and 25 says, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. That word propitiation is very interesting because when you look at it in the Greek and you take it down to another form, it means mercy seat. So Jesus has become our mercy seat. That's why the blood is crying, mercy. And so God is just. The sins of his people are no small obstacle. In his kindness and grace, he has chosen to love you and me. Yet in his justice, he cannot sweep our sins which are acts of treason against him under the rug of the universe. So in his love, he devised a way to satisfy justice and still triumph with mercy. God himself, Jesus, came to this earth, put on that human flesh, walked amongst us, showed us how to live, but yet he came to die. And we have got to celebrate that each and every day that we live. Not just on Good Friday, not just on Easter, not just when it's convenient. Each and every day, we need to remind ourselves of the price that was paid for us so that we could have our sins expunged. Amen? I mean, I don't know about you, but I know who I was. I wasn't a very good boy. And doubtless to say, some of you were not very good girls and very good boys either. And God saw your sin, but yet he said, I'm going to do something for them. And he did it in eon past. That's why it says again, it was the lamb that was slayed from the foundation of the world. So he took on all those sins, and his blood was that wonderful thing that was given for our lives. We were deserving of death, but he took that on himself. He propitiates his righteous wrath, upholds divine justice, and opens the floodgates of his mercy. Aren't you glad you're a Christian? So propitiation. Then number two, justification. Which is to extend God's full acceptance. Romans 5, 9 says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Justified is court language, right? The prosecution, the defense, each present their case. 
and the judge or jury makes a declaration either righteous or condemned. The defendant is either guilty as charged or declared to be in right standing with the law, justified. Okay? The reason those who are united to Jesus by faith are justified is owing in part to his sacrificial and substitutionary death. He willingly, he willingly shed his own blood, not for his own sins, because he didn't do anything. He was a good boy. But it was for yours and mine, all of ours, the spilling of his blood to cover our sins. And Katie, I didn't give this one to you either. Romans 5 and 8. He didn't wait for you to decide you were going to get good. It says, but God commends his love towards us in that while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. So all those things you were doing outside of God's just commands, all those things that really, really you should have been punished severely for. He kind of looked past those things. It says this in Acts, of the ignorance of that time God winked at. I always like that verse. He looked at it, but he made a provision for it. He made a provision for you so that you could find justification. While the devil's screaming, guilty, 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 Bill, you're guilty. He's an accuser of the brethren. God is saying, hold on for a minute. Hold on for a minute. We've got something here that cancels that guilt. If they'll only accept it. Amen? Number three. Redemption. To purchase our true freedom. Ephesians 1 and 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin according to the riches of his grace. To redeem means to buy back or secure the freedom of someone in bondage. Because our sins, we all were or continue to be, if you continue to sin, in spiritual captivity. Our violations of God's law mean we deserve his omnipotent, righteous wrath. But in Christ, by the shedding of his blood, which forgives our sins before God, he purchases your and my freedom from justice and from the power of Satan. Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says, And you, being dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. What does that mean? That means when the devil says you're guilty, you're guilty. And so the devil reminds God, this is what should happen to them. Because it's there. You put it down. And he is right on the button. 
But God is saying once again, no. No. I'm going to circumvent that by my own blood. That's why the devil hates the blood of Jesus Christ. He hates it when you mention the blood because that blood has a voice and that blood cries out for each and every one of us. When we start to talk to God, it's that blood that's making intercession. It's that blood that lets him know we are righteous in his eyes. Because it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So Christ, Christ made that show, saying he was the ultimate hero to humanity. He's better than Superman. He's better than Spider-Man, Batman, anybody you can ever conjure up. He is the consummate hero that takes care of us. The decisive weapon that demons had against us was unforgiven sin. But when Jesus spilled his own blood in our place to forgive our sins, he freed us from that captivity. He redeemed us from Satan and the record of debt and legal demands against each and every one of us. This is what we need to transfer to people that are out there. This is what we need to show them and tell them. We can't remain silent. I mean, really, put yourself in a court of law. Put yourself there and you've done something wrong, heinously wrong. And you know the penalty. You know the penalty. And all of a sudden, someone steps in and say, says, I'll take their place. Would you shut your mouth? Would it be a story you'd tell everybody? Come on, seriously. Would you be telling everybody what took place that freed you from the penalty of what you had done? Somebody else took it on for you? Why are we then silent when it comes to what Jesus has done for us? We need to let the world know that God has taken care of everything. He is our propitiation. He's the mercy seat. He's our justifier. He is the one that redeemed us from the curse of the law. Amen? Let's go on. Forgiveness. To restore our best relationship. So, Ephesians 2.13 says this, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At the very heart of this bringing near is the restoration of humanity with the divine. On the individual level, it's the creation of Christ or personal access to and a relationship with God that we, born into sin, never could have secured on our own. We had to have intervention. On the corporate level, it's the restoration in Christ of the relationship with God for which we were made. Our sin, your sin, and rebellion against God has put distance between you and God. In his old covenant grace, he drew near to his covenant people called Israel. But now, 
in the new covenant, he draws near not to a particular ethnic people, but now in the new covenant, he draws near to all those that will draw close to him. Not just a specific type of people, not just the Jews, but all of us. We're brought near by that blood that was shed. Peter 3.18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Then the next is pacification, to make peace with God. Finally, what God did was that disruption in our relationship with him, that requited aspect of what am I looking for? Not peace, but chaos. There was chaos between us and God. With that blood, it says in Colossians 1, 19 and 20, to himself making peace by the blood of his cross. So that shed blood was the implicit thing that needed to be shed so that we could have that peace that truly passes all understanding. We don't have to get all crazy about what's going on in life because we have God in our life. And when we have God, we should have that peace that truly does pass understanding at times. It says this in Acts 20 and 28, Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock, among the which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he's purchased with his own blood. The next thing that that blood did was it purchased. What did it purchase? It purchased the church. Because the church was his idea, but it was the blood that really brought the church into existence. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a church. And we need to be washed in the blood because if we're not washed in the blood, we cannot be a part of the church. It says this in Revelation 5, 9, And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open all its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. So it's not our works, it's his works. And you don't have to work to enhance your relationship with God. You just work because you have that love for God and love for his church. And then the last thing that Paul talked about was it opens. What does it open? It opens a way to God. It says this in Hebrews 10, 19, and 20. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Now we can boldly approach God. Now we can boldly go to him and talk with him. These are the benefits because without the blood of Jesus, there'd be no hope. There'd be no hope. Without the blood of Christ... You, you wouldn't even be counted as part of his family. You need that blood. When people tell you that you don't need to be baptized, they are so wrong. Because that is the only way that the blood is applied to your life, is by going down in the name of Jesus Christ by total immersion. No other way. Sprinkling doesn't work. You're just getting wet. And you have to have the name of Jesus, because 
that is the one that died and shed the blood that we partake of. Amen? Amen. That's why our garments are then washed in the blood of the Lamb. It says this in Revelation 7, 14 and 15, And I said unto him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of great tribulation, and washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. Now, as I was looking at some of this, I found some other neat things. And so, there are seven places that Jesus shed his blood. Seven, and those seven places, and why seven? Because that's God's perfect number. I read a book and I started to count without really reading all the way through and I thought, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But I didn't like the fact that you count his hands twice. So I found some other things and I want to share them with you because how he shed it makes a difference to us, makes a difference to our lives. So one, the first place was, and he sweat great drops of blood. It was in the Garden of Gethsemane was the first place that he shed blood. Because he was under extreme pressure. And he knew what he was about to go through. And he knew what he was about to face. It says this in Luke 22, 40 through 44. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it be your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. What this signifies is that Jesus won back our willpower. He won back our willpower to resist temptation because he overcame the greatest temptation that was so intense it caused him to sweat blood. Don't tell me you can't. Substitute that word for won't. He showed you that you can do it. He also told you that in this life, there would be tribulation. There would be attacks. But he showed you that you can resist it. Your emotions should not get the best of you. Hello? Your emotions should not get the best of you. If they do, you are weak-willed. then you're saying the blood is of no effect. As a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in God, he'll help you. Amen? How many of you have been helped by God in your existence right now as being a Christian? Doubtless I could go around with this microphone, you could tell me various things, but why is it when it comes to specific areas of our life, we say, he eh, can't handle that. We wake up with a bad hair day and we feel we are entitled to explode. We're entitled to 
be a standoff person to others that love us. There is no entitlement. He sweat great drops of blood, and he said, not my will, but your will be done. He took care of that aspect of our willpower. He showed you. The next place, of course, is the stripes on his back. John 19, 1, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. Isaiah 53 and 5, and with his stripes we are healed. This signifies that Jesus has won back our health. His body was broken so ours could be made whole. Now I know for some of you, you've prayed for healing and it hasn't come. That doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. You've got to ask God, why? Why haven't I, or why hasn't that individual that I've prayed for been healed? There's always a reason. There's always a reason. I just told my good friend Ernie, you know, God will take people and he will orchestrate their life so that he can develop them. He'll put them through all sorts of things. Look at what went on in the Old Testament with some of his prophets. Huh? Some of the ludicrous things that they were asked to do. But he was doing something in and through them. As, as my dear friend, Brother, Brother East would say, he had a prophet naked. What, what possible? But he was doing something. So when we're not healed, sometimes God is developing and doing something in our life. That doesn't mean that he has not purchased our healing. Because the Bible says, with his stripes we are, and in another place, with his stripes we were healed. So that means we should claim that healing through the blood. And then if it doesn't happen, that's where you go to God and you say, Okay, God. Okay, Daddy, what's up? What's happening here right now? He'll give you an answer. You might not like the answer, but he'll give you an answer. And we have got to be okay with that. Because if he makes his disciples a spectacle to the world, what about us? How do we go through this? How do we take it? What do we show others? Then there was internal bleeding from being beaten. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. When you're bruised, that's internal bleeding. When he was bruised and bleeding internally, that signifies that Jesus won back our right standing with God and delivered us from our iniquities, wickedness, and sin internally. Where does it all take place? Right in here. That's where temptation takes place. That devil comes at you again and again and again. Whenever you see somebody backslide, they didn't backslide overnight. It was a process that started a long time ago. But Christ took care of this by the beatings that he took. Then there was the crown of thorns, John 9 and 2. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe. 
What did this signify? This signified the fact of peace of mind. He put it on his head for our peace of mind. That's why he endured it. So that again, you wouldn't freak out at things that take place in life. That you would look to Christ and say, you've got it all under control. Then his hands were pierced, Matthew 27, 35. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothes they cast lots. And it was a custom in those days to crucify people by nailing their hands and their feet to the cross. His hands, that signifies what we do our work with, right? That brings us prosperity. He won back that prosperity so that everything we put our hands to, if we're following him, would prosper. It says this in Psalm 1, verse 3. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. See, it's up to us to believe these things in the word of God. Not breeze over them and when things that we don't like happen, say, it's not working. It always works. I'm here to tell you, it always works. Jesus was pierced in his feet. Matthew 27, 35. And what this signifies is that Jesus won back our dominion and authority. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Luke 10 and 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the authority of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He told Joshua, Every place on which your foot shall trod, I have given it to you. Again, it's up to us to believe these things. It's up to us to follow God. And finally, the spear in his side. John 19, 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. The fact that blood and water flowed from his side symbolizes that he died of a broken heart. It's the only way that could have happened. The intensity and the anguish of the weight and the burden of all the sins that he took on himself and our continual betrayal against him was too much to bear and ultimately caused his heart to just erupt. He won back our joy by that and healed us of our own broken hearts. We look to him. In closing, I want you to imagine for a moment the most traumatic emotional experience you have ever experienced. Kind of thought for a while, I can think of some things. And you had such an intensity of emotional anguish that it felt like your heart was going to stop or it felt like it was going to implode in your chest. You ever felt like that? 
Now imagine the emotional guilt you feel when you sin, when you really blow it. Now multiply that emotional anguish, pain, suffering, and guilt of sin by the entire population of the world. No human being can handle that much emotional stress. And it is psychologically impossible for any human heart to endure without failing. That's the magnitude. That's the magnitude of what Jesus Christ took on himself to purchase your and my freedom and salvation. It is no wonder that his heart literally broke. That was probably what he agonized most about. Not the fact of being crucified, although he knew that. But to feel those feelings. He who knew no sin became sin for each and every one of us. But it says, but for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He knew that his death would affect you, 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 all of us. As many as would understand and believe what that blood did for us. That's why we need, we need to really communicate this to people that are out there. There is power in the blood of Christ. Read the word of God and see what great and solemn things the word of God says about the blood of Jesus. Read what the blood means to God who gave Christ to shed that blood for us. If people knew what God says about the blood of his son, they wouldn't reject it. They would they wouldn't trample it. They wouldn't ignore it. They would claim it for the cleansing of their own souls. They would know that the blood of Jesus Christ is truly their only hope for heaven. That's what's our job. That's what we need to do. We need to communicate that to people. Shall we pray? Father, help us. Help us to really take another look at the blood. Because it's that blood that is so effective. It's that blood that cries mercy. It's that blood that forgives. It's that blood that redeems. It's that blood that justifies. It's that blood that opens. God, it's that blood, that blood that helps. God, help us. Help us not to look at that and take it for granted. But Lord, each and every day, thank you for the preciousness of that blood that was shed for my life, for our life. Lord, bless each one that's here tonight. God, and let them go forth and share this with other people. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please don't go anywhere. There's going to be a baptism. That baptism is going to be a little Blake Curra. <laughs>